You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. All oh, everybody, get that quarter out of your pocket. Go ahead and uh, hit hit your parents up for just uh, one more dollar to feed into that machine. Or maybe head on over to KB Toy Store. You know that a uh, the average cost of a video game today is around 50, 60 bucks. Go back 40 years ago, you want that hot new Atari cartridge? Yeah, it's about 40 to 50 bucks. And you think <laughs> that your economy is real. Ha, I laugh at Wall Street. Mark. Yeah. How's it going? Mark McCray, everybody. Mark McCray <laughs> is uh, is up here in the in the roller rink. <laughs> it's going great. It's going wonderful. Uh, but Dan, uh, you forgot to introduce the name of the episode. Oh my gosh! Tari on Saturday morning. That's that's what we're calling it. <laughs> Atari on Saturday morning video games showing up in our cartoons starting with Pac-Man from 1982 so I mean I, I can understand why they would want to cash in Saturday morning wise on the popularity of Pac-Man Pac-Man was like this national heroin addiction oh yeah for sure I mean it was like everybody was just obsessed with Pac-Man they had books they had published books you can go and buy to show you how to uh what what the key was what the combinations were uh, how to calculate the movement of the ghosts how to manipulate the movement of the ghosts to get all the way to I think level 256 and then you have the kill screen but that's uh that's probably for a video game podcast I don't want to be eating off their plate <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I remember when this Pac-Man animated series, which came from Hanna-Barbera Productions, I was just kind of curious how Hanna-Barbera was going to translate Pac-Man into a Saturday morning show for a general audience. It was bonkers, Mark. It was nuts. So (laughs) on one hand, you could say they took a lot of liberties. I would say they had nothing to work with. There's not a whole lot of depth there. I just don't mean the fact that it's old two-dimensional graphics (laughs) you can't really dig so deep so pac-man lives in a world where the city the world he lives in is powered by if i'm not mistaken power pellets you know that like what he's eating in the game uh (laughs) the society in which he lives is powered by these things and of course you've got the ghosts blinky inky pinky clyde clyde i always love that clyde was always my favorite uh they weren't heavy enough to pull off the villain role in this show. So there was this guy named Mesmeron. Yeah, Mesmeron. Wow. (laughs) Completely bald. He has some kind of like cybernetic apparatus that covers his mouth, maybe all the way up to his nose. Red and black are definitely his color palette. And just this long flowing robe and evil AF. Like this guy was like actually evil, evil. And he Mm -hmm. was trying to gather up these pack pellets that not only power this city, but this is also the food, right? Right. Not just Pac-Man's food, but like Pac-Man's neighbors, right? The world in which he lived, this is how they sustained themselves food-wise as well, as well as like energy, right? Yeah, yeah, That's, a, that's that was exactly it. Yeah, 
Uh, oh my God. Well, the, How- the thing is, why, you know, it seemed like they should have, like, everyone should have been up in arms over this guy. It's, it's like yeah. if someone was trying to hog the entire food supply for the human race. Oh, my like, dude, talk about a supervillain. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> damn right you'd be upset. But right. I guess in this Pac-Man cartoon show, the only thing standing against uh, complete Mad Max Thunderdome, like, like civilized collapse is Pac-Man. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And his wife, who, Pepper, who, right. oh, see, I guess the whole thing about Miss, Miss Pac-Man is a superior video game, by the way. I think everyone out mm. there knows it. They never refer to her as Pepper in the game. And then there's Pac, Pac-Baby is what they call mm-hmm. it in the show. Yet there's Pac-Man Jr. Anyway. And, and the dog, Chomp Chomp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Chomp Chomp. <laughs> that that is you know we uh we just got a new brand new cat mark uh, uh and by brand yes, new, I mean, I we've never had a pet before and i named it sputnik thinking well, that's cool yeah uh, i'm thinking i blew it dude i think i should have named should have named a chomp chomp oh yeah that's got to be the baddest ass name for for a household <laughs> pet oh chomp, for chomp. sure and they also had a cat named sourpuss also which isn't as cool yes on the series. Jesus. Okay, so they've got this 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 unnecessarily dark and heavy villain. And, again, derived all from the video game Pac-Man. They didn't find <laughs> room for one, but two. Two pets. They have two pets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you really have to give it to Hanna-Barbera. They came up with a concept that clearly there wasn't really a concept Uh, (laughs) right right Right. and or or i guess a nicer way to say it they made uh well they they made they made something out of nothing because there's nothing exactly right right you have just as easy of a time making a saturday morning cartoon show about checkers (laughs) so they did some really great world building here and uh the series was a huge success Right. It was a huge success. And in fact, there were a lot of high hopes for this series that there was actually a Christmas special called Christmas Comes to Packland, which also aired in the first season. This Christmas special aired December 16th, 1982. So right. the Christmas special had to be planned in conjunction with the original episodes right. in order to hit that air date. Uh, so there were definitely a lot of high hopes about Pac-Man being huge, Dan. It was a gamble to create a Christmas special for a show that had not been tested. Like, yeah, nobody right. did that back in the day. Because Christmas specials don't have a whole lot of legs when it comes to reruns. Correct, yes. Especially when you're ready to uh, put a, a television program in syndication. Pac-Man fever, bro. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. all the way up to the uh, to the suits and ties uh, at the top of the networks. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. 
Well, obviously, it was a great gamble to do the Christmas special and got successfully renewed for a second season. And, of course, the competing networks also noticed the success of uh, the Pac-Man animated series. And the following year, CBS created Saturday Supercade, which featured other video game characters uh, from the golden age of uh, video arcade games. This series was produced by Ruby Spears, who were sort of the the sons that William Hanna and Joseph Barbera didn't have. They were, (laughs) Joe Ruby and Ken Spears were their protégés and every successful Hanna-Barbera series from the 60s and 70s were tied to uh, the writing team of Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. And they immediately, immediately created this huge show called Saturday Supercade that featured like all these iconic um, iconic. Help me out here, Dan. <laughs> oh, uh, all of these um, uh, iconic uh, all, video all, arc- yeah. arcade games. All these icon- I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't come up with it. Okay, yeah. It just, I just blanked out. Sorry, people. It happens sometimes. <laughs> I just get so enthusiastic, I can't remember what I'm going to say next. But yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> I remember seeing the promotions for Saturday Supercade and. By this time, I had aged out of Saturday morning, but I was super excited for this show. I'm just like, wow, this show's going to be huge. I was the target demographic, and when (laughs) they came out and said Saturday morning, Starcade, it was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. an entire arcade. Like Mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that, that was the connection that was made in the child brain. Starcade inspired ideas of choice. Inspired ideas of variety. The the that feeling you get when you walk in and first sniff that that arcade air, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because everywhere had a video game back then. Our local supermarket had uh, Miss Pac Man and Crystal Castles. The laundromat had a uh, Galaga machine. Wow. Seven Eleven always had two video games. The machines, the Circle K, gas stations, the comic book shop, uh, the video store would have at least one to two coin machines. Back in the eighties, it was everywhere. But an arcade, it was like going to church. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that was the difference. You know, maybe growing up in New York, um, there were uh, arcades that had. Uh, the games, but they weren't necessarily everywhere. And I remember, maybe in the suburbs it was that way, but it definitely wasn't everywhere in the Bronx or Brooklyn. And I remember anytime I saw a movie from the 1980s that took place in California, it just seems like... There's a video game going, like, every time. Everywhere, everywhere, like you just described. And I just remember being so jealous. I'm just like, oh, I just wish I could just walk up the street. (laughs) Dude, that's what it was. You just, just walk, just, there it is, there it is. Hey, Dad, can I have a quarter? Hey, Dad, can I have a quarter? You know? Um, one thing real quick, Dan, you were calling it uh, Starcade and it's Supercade. Oh, well, hey, it's sorry, everybody. I'm uh, just like Mark. I just get so excited about this stuff. What games were included in Saturday Supercade? Saturday Supercade had. It is Saturday Supercade. Did I say it right this time? Yeah. Saturday Supercade had. Frogger, Donkey Kong, Cubert, Pitfall, Space Ace, which has a fun story under itself, and uh, Kangaroo. The show, like I said, was a huge success. And uh, the following year, they introduced uh, Rubik's. 
the amazing cube. And the idea of the story was once you had your Rubik's cube and solved the puzzle where you had, you know, the, the colors on are all lined up on every side, then it comes alive. I just remember it being, well, you know, like Punky Brewster, the cartoon where it's like, Hey, Punky, mm. like, but yeah, but a Rubik's cube and probably a higher pitched voice. But, uh, <laughs> the, the idea was to endear me to it. And considering the source material versus kind of how annoying it was, it, it didn't, it didn't really do its thing. Um, but we also found out that Rubik, in terms of Rubik's, Rubik's cube, that's with an apostrophe. I was surprised by that. Yeah, this whole uh. time we've been playing. This whole time we've been playing with someone else's cube, and that dude, <laughs> and, and that person is Rubik. Right. Mm. English is awesome, dude. Oh, it is pretty funny. The other interesting thing about a Saturday Supercade, uh, so many years later when the Hanna-Barbera Ruby Spears Library was purchased by Ted Turner uh, for the Turner Networks to, to create Cartoon Network, a lot of these animated elements didn't uh, come over as part of the deal. It seems like the only cartoon that made the cut was Space Ace. Oh, interesting. Uh, Frogger, Hubert, Kangaroo. Pitfall, you could infer some kind of story, but in terms of Jungle Adventure, they, it's almost like they went out of their way to give you nothing narratively. Pitfall 2, maybe if you held on to the instructions. You never held on to the instructions when you went, when you went out and bought a new video game cartridge. No. Mark, you, no you definitely fucking, not. If you need the instructions, then what? Then 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 this game's got to suck, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, how hard could it be? Exactly. Exactly. So, Frogger... In the cartoon show, he's a, he's a reporter. Yes. Knowing that he's a hardworking journalist, he's uh, he's hitting the streets trying to get the scoop. That really adds a new dimension to the video game itself, doesn't it? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know about hardworking, but it definitely does add a dimension. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, uh, he's just trying to cross the street, man. He's got he's to get it in by five. Okay. Uh-huh. You know? Cubert, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were able to come up with a story. He was like, I don't want to say Indiana Jones, but uh, no. he was exploring uh, the jungles for hidden treasures and whatnot. Yeah. Um... I don't remember that, dude. I don't remember. I remember him being on like, <laughs> this, you know, a, a, a bunch of cubes stacked in a certain geometrical uh, uh-huh. shape. And a a snake shaped like a spring coming right. at coming at you, and two like rainbow laser discs that took you uh, to the top of the puzzle when you were in trouble. I guess I just I will just reiterate that the writers for Saturday Supercade were very talented to come up with a whole scenario and background story for video games in itself. I, like I said, as a challenge, but. Under this umbrella of we can't be violent and, you know, we got to please action for children's television. And then there's standards and practices. I just feel that although I don't really remember a lot of the story concepts, these writers really laid it down and made this show a success. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, I have nothing but praise. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, it, it is fun to kind of point out what the quote unquote source material is. Right. But where they took these things, I mean, how do you make a compelling narrative about mm-hmm. eating power pellets while <laughs> while running from ghosts over and over again? Yeah. <laughs> and they did a damn good job. 
They right. did an amazing job. As I have said before, um, I think the 1980s was a time of new shows, new programming, new genres, and the, the 80s was Saturday morning's greatest decade. Yeah, yep. Uh, another interesting thing, uh, Donkey Kong was voiced by uh, comedian Soupy Sales. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Donkey Kong leads to Mario. And by Mario, I mean Super Mario. Right. Soupy Sales, uh, we yeah. had to have mentioned him early season one. Right. So Soupy Sales had been around. He's a comedian that had been around for a while. And he had like one of those local hosted kid shows. Right. I, I know there was one that ran in the New York market that I used to watch as a kid. And supposedly what got him in trouble was that he told his audience to go into their parents' wallets and pocketbooks and send the green stuff to him. <laughs> and this this could be an urban legend, but supposedly the kids took the money from their parents and he got a whole boatload of money and got in trouble for it. We're ending the story right there because that is for a later episode regarding original content created by local affiliates only shown in local markets. Right. So everybody, yeah, you'll hear the, <laughs> you'll hear the rest of that later this season. One of the other interesting voice actors from Saturday Supercade was Peter Cullen, who played Mario. And uh, I also think that Peter Cullen was Optimus Prime in the Transformers series. And what's what's the trip about that is that Frank Megatron Welker did the voice of Donkey Kong Jr. Saturday morning, Saturday morning, God, Supercade, Starcade, what's it called? <laughs> Saturday Supercade. On Saturday Supercade. So Megatron and Optimus Prime were facing off uh, before they were facing off, everyone. Right. You know, I, I consider Saturday morning Supercade is really a prequel to Transformers mm -hmm. as part of their canon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Uh, so uh, another series I, I would like to bring up was Pole Position that premiered in 1984. Right. Pole Position, the Saturday morning series, has nothing to do with the video game. And yet, without the game Pole Position, there is no cartoon called Pole Position 1984. Wrap, wrap your charm bracelet around that idea, people. <laughs> you know, I feel like Pole Position, the Saturday morning series, still did well because there was still interest there for kids to watch. And right. even if you were familiar with the Pole Position game or not, you know, it still featured pretty fast action with racing cars. Who doesn't like fast action with racing cars on Saturday? Right. Morning? What are you? What kid are you? A communist? <laughs> Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, thunder talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. So Dan, you have an actual really great personal story about this era of arcade games. I wouldn't call it great, friend, but uh, it definitely is a story. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. indeed. Uh, so 
We didn't talk a whole lot about Space Ace, uh, which would require we talk about Dragon's Lair. Right. In the arcade, you would have your... Uh, your Star Wars, your Breakout, your Tron, your Galaga, all of that. But then you had a cartoon, an honest-to-God proper cartoon playing on a very large cabinet. And that cartoon looked a hell of a lot like The Secret of Nim, or what would have come out after Dragon's Lair uh, in theaters, um, uh, An American Tale, Don Bluth. And that Don Bluth cartoon looked like Dungeons & Dragons. It looked like Sword & Sorcery. It was a medieval fantasy adventure playing out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, way cool. And to think that it was digitally rendered video. I think it was probably running on a Laserdisc system, which would have been an industrial Laserdisc system. Yes. Yeah. Very high-end industrial. (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we, I was, uh, my older brother and I were being babysat by my great grandfather. My great grandfather fought in, in, in the war. And when I say the war, Mark, I mean the great war, world war one. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, trench foot, no man's land, all that. And he wasn't just in it for like the last six months, like in terms of the United States, he was Canadian. He was in it all four years. He was in the entire slog. This guy was born like ni- like 1890-something. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. He took my older brother and I to the roller rink. That was already very much out of character. I've, I've, I have a grandparent like that or had one like that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. <laughs> they weren't exactly the fun grandparent, but exactly. I get it. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, Grandpa, can I have a quarter for the video games? Now, if you're born in 1880-something, and if you almost took a bullet to the head uh, while in the trenches, if you had lived that kind of life, you know what I'm saying? And here I am like, hey, can I have a quarter, an entire 25 cents, to go blow on this thing called video games that I am not in any way wired to understand, other than it being frivolity? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like by the night, he was an old man when comic books were pissing people off. You know what I mean? I have a question. Why did he take, you said it's something that he wouldn't normally do. So why do you think he took you to the arcade? That's an excellent question. Your grandfather. I was five years old when it happened, six years old. uh, And there's really no, uh, he had to watch, my parents probably gave him the money to do it. Okay. Even though he could have absolutely afforded it. So I squeezed a quarter (laughs) out of this old man to play a video game convincing him took a lot of pestering he probably would have hit me if he wasn't trapped in an 87 year old body dude <laughs> i'm telling you i am telling you uh, oh, i believe it you know it's, it's almost like uh i remember one time i was on the bus and this old lady accused this younger lady of picking her pocketbook and the young lady said you know what grandma it's a good thing you're old, because if you wasn't old, I would have kicked your... <laughs> <laughs> so I could see that story from the other end with your yeah. grandfather like, if I wasn't so old and didn't have arthritis... Exactly. exactly. I'd you slap you for pestering me, grandson. Yeah, yeah. No, the only way he ever got at me was if he was in range, he would grab my ear and twist my ear and attempt to lift me up by my ear. That was the only power he had at that point in his life. 
And it did take me long to realize, hey, if I if instead of being two feet away from this guy, if I just always stayed four feet away from this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's nothing he can do, man. Nothing he can do. <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. No, that's real. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> so I took this one quarter over to this Don Bluth cartoon. I was big on Secret of Nim at this time. And I could, you could tell it was, it's the same animation. And I'm like, gosh, this is it. This is the game I, I, I want to play. This is the one. And the game itself wasn't that awesome in terms of mechanics. Uh, an arrow would flash on the screen. Like you'd have like a split second, you know, up, down. There was one button, you know, press button. And every time you did that, it progressed it to the next shot, if you will. Right. The next, and, uh. You got to see your adventurer do a little bit more. And I think, it, I'm not going to look it up. It was 12 minutes long, maybe 17 minutes long. Right. Space Ace, right. which is the cartoon that we didn't super get into and maybe don't need to, other than it was the same kind of uh, concept, almost like a spiritual sequel, another Don Bluth production. Uh, I yes. put my money into the machine. And the demo stops. It goes to the, you have given us your money screen. And generally, back in the day, that screen would be like, do you want to put another quarter in and hit player two? If not, hit player one. Right. It goes to that screen or what I perceive to be that screen. And I'm like, okay, where do I hit player one? There is no player one. Right. There's player two. This is a single player game. And I realized that. And I, this is the first time I was exposed to fractions. One slash two. Credits. One slash two. This Dragon's Lair machine required 50 cents. <laughs> and I tried to go back to my grandfather and explain the whole situation to him. And again, this man was born before human flight. So trying to explain, oh, it takes two quarters. Right. Nothing I could do. Dragon's Lair took my money. He wouldn't give you the extra quarter? No. That was payback for you pestering him for the first quarter? <laughs> was, no, well, I don't think it was payback. I, it was so much as he couldn't wrap his head around what I was asking. To him, it was probably asking oh, for another quarter to play another I got video you. game. For another game. Right. Yeah, right. He's just like, I gave you your... <laughs> yeah. I gave you your... <laughs> he, looked, he looked at me as though I was just this thing that was making sound. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's like, I did my good deed for the day, kid. And you're not getting another quarter. Yeah. So thank you, Dragon's Lair. Thank you, Don Bluth, for making it weird between me and my great-grandfather. Oh, that is... Uh, what a heartwarming story. <laughs> the 42 cast is turning 100, but like all good things, it must come to an end. Tune in to our epic finale as we see who lives, who dies, and who gets their own spinoff. And then come back when the 42 cast is back for season two with even more segments, more guests, and more of explaining why Ryan is wrong. It's why we're still the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. You can only find all this awesome by downloading the 42 cast, a proud member of the ESO network. Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comics podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. Thank you.
then let's talk about Nintendo and Mar- Mario and maybe a future podcast episode. Oh, let's definitely talk about that on a future episode. We got into Donkey Kong. Mario showed up in the Atari era. It's interesting. The, there's kind of a hard cutoff date to this particular portion of video games on Saturday morning because there's really two distinct eras. We just went through the first one, the Atari era, if you will. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, Mark. In 1984, if you ask me, was the hard cutoff. One could argue 85 if we're going to throw Dragon's Lair into the mix, but certainly by the, the middle of the 80s, video games on Saturday morning had come and it had gone. Yeah, so the video game crash <laughs> happened. Yeah, dude. Yes. And so the cartoon sort of disappeared along with that industry. I agree. And, you know, given that animation takes time. Yes. Uh, when the crash happened suddenly in 83, you still had stuff in the can. You had stuff coming down the pipe that had already launched. There's no recall. There's no failsafe. That, that exactly. pole position is going to come out on Saturday mornings in 1984. Right. Regardless if the E.T. video game had already killed everything the Christmas prior. But after that, the networks weren't really picking up the phone and calling yeah. Namco and Atari and these <laughs> other companies asking, you know, hey, what else you got? The, the interesting thing was, I guess the cartoon sort of outlasted the crash because kids didn't care. It was like, okay, here's another great cartoon I can watch. I don't know anything about a video arcade crash or anything. I just know this is a cartoon I, I like and I'm going to continue to watch. Uh, I think that also helped push things along a little bit. So don't, 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 don't fear, faithful listeners. The video games come back to Saturday morning and it's all about Nintendo, just like uh, video games came back to the home because of Nintendo. And, and we're gonna go there. Um, just not right now and probably not next episode either but later this season it'll be another fun podcast believe me and by the time the video games come back one of the things I will say there'll be a lot of interesting strategy tied to it it would almost be like lessons learned from these earlier video game animation adaptations so don't be a poser be there (laughs) The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.